And welcome back, DGI Multiverse. This is DGI Mark for the Dad's Got Issues podcast. This is issue number 48. Uh, we're going to go back inside the ropes today. A uh, little bit of Elimination Chamber recap reactions um, and where we think the road to WrestleMania is headed. Um, as well as some recap for this past week's professional wrestling uh, shows. So uh, we're not going to do a whole lot of coverage on Raw or SmackDown for the lead-in to... Um, Elimination Chamber, just because we're going to dive into Elimination Chamber and everything that happened at the end of this episode. Um, but uh, I had to say, every year before Elimination Chamber on Raw or SmackDown, we traditionally get a gauntlet match between the participants inside of the Chamber match. And I have to say, the last this year's and last year's ended up being probably two of the best matches on Raw in like the yearly calendar. Like, it's becoming one of those, like, highly underrated episodes of Raw every year because there's not usually a lot of hype behind this gauntlet match idea. But then when it's put into, you know, put into execution by the superstars involved, it usually turns into a pretty good match. Um, so, from for our sake for speaking of Raw or the build to Elimination Chamber, I'd have to say the highlight of last week was that, was that match. Do you agree? Yeah, I uh, it, raw for like uh, after like a couple say lackluster weeks, uh, definitely got me back into like it got me excited for Elimination Chamber. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that the the gauntlet match was good, um, and I was I was actually kind of guessing all the way through it, you know, trying to figure out how it was going to play out. So. Yeah. I mean, kudos to them. It, it was interesting enough to make the the rivalry between Sheamus and McIntyre kind of the focal point leading into Elimination Chamber, but it did a good enough job of building the superstars in the match to be viable threats. I mean, only, I hate to say this because he is, I mean, he is a legend amongst the crowd, but Jeff Hardy just seems very out of place with where he's at in that match, and even even in the Elimination Chamber match, he felt like a throwaway. It was very, you know, and we'll get into that, but it was very interesting the way things played out inside the chamber once it was time for that match to occur. Um, so um, I think, you know, as far as SmackDown goes, obviously I think the highlight was the continued tease and build of the feud between Roman and Edge. I don't think... Like, even after Elimination Chamber, which obviously, like I said, we were going to get to... Um, I just, I don't know, something about, you know, something about that whole rivalry just isn't clicking for me. And I don't know what it is. Um, I, I feel like I should be more excited about it because I do believe that Roman is the guy right now. Like, I mean, outside of, I hate to say it, I mean, because people are going to say we're AEW marks, outside of like a Kenny Omega, he's kind of the guy in professional wrestling right now. Um, but like, I'm just not excited about it. It's actually made me less excited about Edge's Rumble win. As you know, we, we came out and were quite, you know, fond of last week or a couple weeks back. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk more Raw SmackDown once we get to Elimination Chamber. So let's dive into AEW. Um, they're obviously building towards this, um, Saturday's 
Revolution pay-per-view. Revolution is one of the four paid-for pay-per-views that you have to order for AEW, not one of their weekly specials. So you're obviously getting a lot more importance put on a lot of these matches and things like that. Um, When AEW, I guess the, the big news, and I know Charlie probably could care less, uh, was that Sting took his first bump in six years. Um, obviously, it was Brian Cage delivering a powerbomb to Sting, but if I'm being honest, it still looked it looked awkward. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about a guy who clearly is unbelievably strong. You know, when he went to put Sting up for the powerbomb and put him down, you could tell he was overcompensating a tremendous amount to make sure that Sting took the bump clean. So there was no chance of injury. There was no chance of aggravation or nothing like that. And I think that's a pro. Like that for me, that's an issue. You know, right. we're we're a week. We you know we're essentially a week, week and a half away from this man being involved in a match. Like, what's he going to do in the match? Is he just going to run around the whole time and stay on his two feet? Like, he's going to have to take multiple timed bumps, so to speak. Like. You know, like, I hate to say this, but, like, you know, we've seen, like, Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy in their feud. Like, Matt Hardy gets pushed off that scaffolding and falls and smacks his fucking head. Like, that can happen to anybody. It could have happened to Sammy. Right. It could have happened to Kenny or the Box or Jericho or anybody. It could happen to any of these wrestlers. Like, it scares. Like, I think this was, like, a thing we talked about when Sting debuted. Because you're not a big Sting guy. You never were. And I get that. I understand, but we we understand his importance. We understand what he brings, the value he brings to the brand. But right. th- it's it's it, it's just like you know. I think I even said it. I was like, you know, it's like me and Hulk Hogan, right? I'm not a Hulk Hogan fan. Never have been a Hulk Hogan fan, but I understand where he fits in the in the grand scheme of things yeah. of professional wrestling. Same thing with Sting. I understand his importance. But that doesn't mean that I have to be a fan. You yeah. Know? And and my big thing is, is like when we talk about Sting, we talk about his importance and we talk about all this stuff. It's the highlight, like what he could have, what he could be bringing to the brand in sense of like Im- ambassadorship or mentorship or a manager or whatever he, 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 a role he could do where he's not entrenched in a rivalry or in a feud. And maybe that like, maybe this is like what Sting wanted. Maybe Sting wanted to come back, have one last hurrah run, maybe like a couple matches here and there, and then he was going to go into management with AEW. I'm okay with that to an extent because he didn't really get that with TNA because he was still kind of moving well when he was in TNA. He was still wrestling well. But then he well, took. Yeah, I mean, he, he hadn't had that buckle bomb though either. Yeah. So. so, you know, he goes to WWE where he gets uh, effectively gets built up just to be buried. And then, you know, like Which you said, was, I was fine with, yeah. I was 100% fine. I mean, you take, you take the, but then you take the, you take the, the, the buckle bomb and you're, you know, you've been on the shelf for four years now, three years now, it seems like, but it is what it is. I, I, I'm not the, the Darby Allen sting match is not something I'm, um, or Darby Allen and sting versus team Taz match. It's not something that I'm like chomping at the bit to watch, but it is something that I'm, you know, I'm intrigued to see how they handle it and how crazy things get. Because we know anytime Darby Allen's in a match, stupid, crazy, hardcore shit happens. So I'm just interested to see what Sting agreed to. Um, on this issue or this episode, sorry, 
um, this episode of Dynamite, we also got Santana and Ortiz, Pride and Powerful versus the Young Bucks. I was all for like it. It almost pained me to know that there was no chance the Bucks were dropping the belts because Santana and Ortiz had been so criminally underutilized in AEW as a tag team. Like they came in as you know LAX, hot off the press, time to you know time to push them and, and and send them to the moon. And they really did. Like they were beating the Bucks, they were beating everybody, but they never really got like past. They never got past that loss to um, SCU. So I'm very, like, and they looked great. I mean, did you watch the match? Yeah, I mean, I, I watched I watched Dynamite, and it was fine. It's, but like you said, it's they're just not, I don't know. It, it, the, the, the tag division is what's supposed to be something that, you know, AEW does well. And I just feel like they're losing. They're losing that uh, because of of some of, uh, because of some of the things that they're doing. And again, I think I say it on every episode at, or every issue at this point. It's like where where's where's FTR? So I mean, like but they're, FTR, they're feuding with Jurassic Suppress and yeah. or Jurassic Express, and and to me, that's a waste of their talent. But you know, I I actually didn't mind. I don't mind the idea of FTR building back because this is the thing. I remember FTR came in. I mean, meteorically hot and was right entrenched in the, in the main event title picture and won the titles. So it wasn't like they rose the prominence, proved them. Like, obviously, we don't believe they should have to prove themselves. But, you know, to a certain degree, there were teams that they jumped that were already in the pecking order of like, okay, I could see them winning the tag titles. I could see them win, like the Lucha Bros. Yeah, but Pride but and Powerful. Should have been. But right, like they, they deservedly so for them. I I, um, I agree, but my thing is, is once you bring them in, ultimately speaking, they can't then lose. Like we knew the Bucks were due. Like you knew the Bucks were due a title, right? You you knew they were due the tag titles. Like they they've they've avoided putting them on themselves to almost to an extent where fans were like, it makes no sense that the young Bucks aren't tag champions at this point. So now the Bucks, you know, they chased the titles. They did their thing. They won them titles from FTR, which I think legitimized the win. Because if they would have beat SCU, it wouldn't have been a big deal, if we're being honest. And my thing is, though, I think although FTR jumped Pride and Power for Lucha Bros and some of these other tag teams, you know, I do believe that, you know, them losing drops them below them. And they should have to work their way through them. You don't think an FTR pride and powerful rivalry would be good for either tag team at this point? I think it would be fantastic. Yeah. I think I, mean, I, I think I think I think FTR versus the Lucha Bros would be fantastic for both. But at the same time, I think the Lucha Bros, I've been saying this for months, I think they're better off singles competitors at this point for AEW. Because you get an instant face in Ray Phoenix and you get an instant heel in Pentagon. So at the end of the day. Maybe Lucha Bros aren't above FTR, in, 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 at least in my mental standing, but that doesn't mean that they're not better. You know, that doesn't mean that I think FTR should immediately jump them again and be number one contenders. But we've seen that with AEW. AEW does a really good job of like when you drop the belt, you don't get an instant title shot again. Like you have to earn that title shot. So I, I'm not as upset with where FTR is. I think FTR ultimately will overcome 
this whole Jurassic Express thing. Um, I was impressed with their match this past week, though. FTR versus Matt Seidel and Mike Seidel. I thought that was cool of AEW to introduce the Seidel brothers as a tag team. Because I don't think anybody's going to take Matt Seidel as a serious singles competitor, other than maybe for like the TNT title or something like that. But that that division's so crowded. You know what I mean? That 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 pecking order is where it is. I think if you're going to split up the Lucha Brothers and you want a more another high flying team, I think putting the Seidel brothers together kind of you know wets that palate, so to speak. So at the end of the day, you know, we need to make sure that obviously AEW you know, does the right thing and keeps certain tag teams together while I think also developing certain single stars out of their tag team division. So I don't think the tag team division is suffering. I just think it's... They could have just made that a tag match between the Bucks and um, Santana. And it really didn't make sense either because we know the number one contenders are Jericho and MJF. So, like, you're kind of like, well, there's no way they're going to put it on all, you know, they're going to have an all inner circle championship match. Like, that's just not going to happen. And it did. Obviously, right. it didn't. The, the Bucks won, retained, and they, they move on the revolution to face um, Jericho and MJF. Um, and then, obviously, we get the we get the main event, which was Moxley, Phoenix, and Lance Archer with against Eddie Kingston, Butcher and Blade. They keep playing up on like this family thing and yada yada. Like, I get it. Like, these guys have known each other for decades. They're friends. They're this, they're that. Like, cool, whatever. But it just, there's no investment in it for me. Maybe that's just me. Maybe there's some other guys out there. And like, it doesn't make sense to me, like, that, that Lance Archer would so quickly align himself with Moxley after they had an absolute blood feud in New Japan. Like, it's very forced. It was a very forced main event, and it's a very forced storyline because I like Eddie Kingston. I think Eddie Kingston was probably the one of the best signings they made in 2020 as far as character and ability to you know to to sell himself and sell his matches. But I just I, every time he gets in the ring with Moxley, and they're like, "Oh, I've, you've known me since I was 10 years old," and you're just like, "God, nobody fucking cares." <laughs> Like, I get it. Like, some people are like, oh, well, that's good story writing. They're honkering back to personal lives, and it's it's not just about, you know, some wonky wrestling storyline. But I'm like, yeah, but I could use wonky at this point. Like, everything Moxley's done to this point has been, like, reality-based, and it's just not fun. He's not fun to watch. And, like, I know there's some people, he's their cup of tea. They like him. They they I've fucking read countless articles where people are harking him to be, like, the modern era Stone Cold. And I'm like... No, he's not. Just because he wears jeans and he acts like a badass doesn't mean he's stone cold. It just means he's a guy who likes to wear jeans and be a badass. But at the end of the day, like, how many hardcore matches? Like, and obviously, you know, we get the post-match beatdown. Um, but, you know, they announce a gimmick match for Revolution between Moxley and Omega to, to, to finish it. And instead of it being like a wrestling, like, you know what they should have done? A fucking Iron Man match. Right. Because that's Kenny's wheelhouse. Instead, Kenny, you know, Kenny loses the Moxley in, in the lights out street fight in Baltimore. He then says, well, I don't want to wrestle your style. I want to wrestle my style. So he has a pure a wrestle wrestling match. No gimmicks, no, you know, bullshit disqualifications count, yada, yada, yada. And he beats him for the title. 
And then he's like, well, for the rubber match, you know, why wouldn't you? He's like, I'm going to pick this stipulation again, or I'm going to get it, whatever. Why wouldn't you pick something that's in your wheelhouse? Instead, you go and right. you pick an exploding barbed wire match, which hasn't been done since the death tournaments in Japan. I mean, I'm sure some bullshit indie somewhere or some death, you know, wrestling fucking federation does them. But like, obviously these are the matches that like Mick Foley and Terry Funk and those guys back in the day made famous, but you're like, that's not Kenny Omega. Like this doesn't say you at all. It just, it right. like, it doesn't make sense. And it, it, I hate to say this, but because it, it's going to be the main event, right? We know that. Right. Without a shadow of a doubt, there's no way that this isn't going to main event their card. It's going to be a, it's, it's almost going to be a, like, a parody of a wrestling main event. Because you can't, you can't make that match any other way. It has to be, it has to be over the top. It has to be over dramatized. Like, I just, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to it. Because this Kenny run has been great. The belt collector kind of vibe he's put off has been awesome. But, like, if you're not going to allow him to, like, wrestle, wrestle, then you're just devaluing his, his value as a, as a performer for the company. And if this is the only way they can write, they can, in their minds, write Moxley off for a couple months, then so be it. It is what it is. Oh, you know, we'll, we'll move forward and we'll figure out from there. Um, I'm sure you're, you're not looking forward to it. No, and it's it, and it's not because I dislike John Moxley because I like John Moxley. Um, like he's he's somebody that I I enjoy watching. But again, we harken back to I think every time he comes up, it's like we don't need every match to devolve into a hardcore match. Yeah, it's not necessary. You can just go out and have a wrestling match. We know that he's capable of it because he's done it. So it's it's. And 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 I'm not putting John Moxley on the same level as like a John Cena, right? But that was the frustrating thing with like John Cena. Yeah. You knew what he was capable of and he just didn't do it. And that's why people turned on him. Um and I think that for a lot of people who, who are John Moxley fans, we know what he's capable of. And it's I, I, I'm not gonna say it's gonna be the same thing. But he has to do more than just his heart AEW. Like, yeah. he has to. Otherwise, his character is going to get really stale, and people are going to lose interest. They're going to turn. It's going to happen. I agree. So. Um, but, yeah, so that, that wraps up AEW. It was a good – I mean, obviously, it's not a go-home show. We have, we have Wednesday night um, for AEW who had their go-home show before Revolution, so I'm sure we'll get a little bit more development out of that. Um, but as of right now, they're doing their women's tournament for the, ch- the shot at the women's title. They're doing, um, obviously FTR Jurassic Express with Tully Blanchard involved in the match at revolution. They're doing sting and Darby Allen versus team Taz. And then we're also getting obviously the tag title match between, um, Jericho MJF and the young bucks on top of the the women's or the, the sorry the men's obviously heavyweight title match in the um bar, exploding barbed wire match between Kenny and John Moxley. Um, I'm looking forward to revel like like I said AEW has rarely let me down with the pay per view. Um, 
even if the build to it isn't great, the storylines aren't aren't quite linking up, whatever it is, they usually always end up putting on great pay-per-views and great matches at the pay-per-views. So I'm hoping that that's, that continues to be the, the situation um, come Saturday. Um, let's move on to NXT. Uh, a little bit of fallout from Vengeance Day. Um, Kyle O'Reilly um, coming out basically, you know... Basically, he, he's coming out to express, you know, his disappointment, his anger, and, and what it, it transpired with Adam Cole at the end of Vengeance Day. Uh, Finn comes out and confronts him, basically says that he set up, uh, he was set up by O'Reilly, and then, you know, and Strong as well. Um, and then, obviously, Don, Lorcan, and Birch ambushed the three, which I assume... Um, is just to continue the feud between all parties involved. Um, you then get Candice LeRae, um, Indy um, Hartwell versus Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon. I don't know how many times I can see this match like week in and week out before I'm just like, I don't want to see any of these women on my television screen. Um, I feel like this is like every week we get this match. Every pay-per-view, we're getting this match now. Are they really that hard-pressed to make people want to watch Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart that they're willing to just keep Candice LeRae in this level of purgatory? Yeah, well, it, for some reason, and I don't get it, like, they they want Shotzi Blackheart to be somebody, and it's just, it's not working. Like, and, and the character is interesting, but she's not good enough in the ring. She is as green in the ring as she is with her hair. So it it, like, and and that it hurts. It hurts the matches because it's like, okay, you have a, you have a decent character. You have a decent gimmick, right? Mm -hmm. But if you can't make me like you because of why I actually watch wrestling and that's because I want to see you wrestle, um, that hurts. (laughs) So and and it, and then you put her in the same ring with a Candice LeRae and an Ember Moon, and those flaws are even more exposed. So I I I, I honestly don't know what they're hoping to get out of it because she's not somebody who should be elevated into into the title picture. No. So I I don't know I don't know. So you're you know we're like you said we're there's more women's wrestling on this card that we're going to talk to, which I think could be comparative to the greenness of Shotzi Blackheart and the NXT's need to push her. Uh, when there's other, there's other women underneath of her that I think are a lot more seasoned, a lot more entrenched and have, I hate to say this. I mean, I, I don't know. Is, is Shotzi Blackheart like that much of a fan favorite? Maybe me and you're just out of touch in the sense that like, we don't know what NXT fans are looking for, but I just don't think she is. Um, but uh, well, well, I mean, if if anything, like I am an NXT fan before I'm an anything else fan. Yeah. So, and I feel like I'm part of that 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 group of people, right? That are fans of wrestling. So, I don't know. But then again, you know, there's been plenty of people within NXT that I I just didn't get behind initially, and it, it took a minute, and then eventually I got on board. So, yeah. so maybe it is me. I, who knows? Um. So. After that, we got Isaiah Swerve Scott versus Leon Ruff. 
Um, if we're being honest, the one thing I can say that NXT has done really well over the course of the pandemic is reestablishing the cruiserweight division in a way that it doesn't feel like these guys are cruiserweight wrestlers. If that makes sense. Like when the cruiserweight division was debuted and they got, you know, 205 live and they were allowed to have their like their moments, you know, on like it was always overemphasized that these people were cruiserweights. Where now it's like they they pop up on TV or like, oh, this is Isaiah Swerve Scott. It's not like he gets like a purple banner or he gets like, you know, he's a cruiserweight. Like they're just allowing these guys to be wrestlers and cut promos and build rivalries and do things within their division that I think really highlights the division. Now, I don't watch a lot of 205 Live. I've heard really positive things it's since it's gotten back to NXT that it has been consistently better as a result. But the stuff that we've seen on NXT television and the NXT TakeOver pay-per-views of all signs pointing to, they are building not just cruiserweight stars, but they're actually rebuilding the, the brand and the division to establish stars potentially for the future for just general competition. Um, I think Isaiah Swerve is a tremendous opportunity to be a great, great roster member for the WWE Universe for many, many years to come, not just as a cruiserweight. Um, obviously Leon Ruff gets the win Wednesday night against Swerve, but they have a level of chemistry in the ring that although Isaiah is a much taller, much leaner, much bigger cruiserweight than we're used to seeing. But when he's in the ring with these smaller guys, the chemistry is there. It's tremendous. Um, it was a great match. Uh, I look forward to seeing those two get another opportunity to showcase what they can do together. Um, what's your opinion of the cruiserweight division as a whole? Do you think it's, do you think it's gotten tremendously better or do you think it's like a little bit better? Uh, I mean, so, so like you were saying, how they're not playing them out to be cruiserweights. That's fine. Like, yeah, you, it's definitely, it's definitely better for them to be back in, in the NXT realm. One problem that I have though, is the, the dual champions. The and I get like with the whole pandemic and everything, they had to do something, but um, I don't like that you have uh Santos Escobar running around with one title and Jordan Devlin running around with another, and both of them claiming to be the cruiserweight champion. Yeah, one of them is legitimately the cruiserweight champion because he never lost the belt. Uh, the other one is a placeholder. He's an interim champion, yeah. but they keep recognizing him like he is the champion. So at some point that's got to come to a head. Um, yeah. But at the same time, can we be honest and say like probably for the first time in the history of interim champions, the interim champion is more of the draw than the actual, like as much as people like want to act like Jordan Devlin is the champ. Cause you know, <laughs> in the realm of sports entertainment, Santo Escobar is a better performer. It's not even close, in my opinion. Like watching the two of them wrestle, I'll watch a Santo, I'll watch a Santo Escobar match any day of the week over a Jordan Devlin match. Well, you you are you prefer lucha style wrestling, whereas I think me like I'm more I'm more so I like the I like the style like the I don't know if I'd call it the British style, but I I like. I like the the type of wrestling that Jordan Devlin brings to the table, right? He's yeah. he's got high impact, but he can also go mat based, kind of kind of like Finn, yeah. right? So, um, 
I, I lean more towards him. So I guess when those two square off, we're going to have our sides and yeah. one of us will be rooting for the, for the other. Yeah. So, um, we move on from that. We get Casey Catanzaro and uh, Caden Carter versus Leah and Jesse, Jesse Camila of the Robert Stone brand. Um, Carter and Catanzaro, we've been saying this for weeks now, probably should have been at the, at the very minimum been in the finals of the Dusty Classic. Instead, we got who we got, and I don't think anybody benefited from the victor or the loser of that match. Where I think even in defeat, Carter and Catanzaro would have done more for themselves than I can't even remember who the other tag team was. That was it Shotzi and Ember against Raquel and yeah, it was Shotzi and Ember versus Raquel yes. and and what's her name? So yeah, so I my opinion is is Catanzaro and Carter have a brighter future than I think most people are putting out. Especially, I mean, as much as like Catanzaro does all the flippy shit and she's exciting in the ring, she's very similar to her boyfriend Ricochet. Carter has a tremendous amount of charisma inside the ring, and I think she presents a very unique opportunity for WWE to have somebody they signed and developed in their camp be a big part. This would be like really one of the first ones. It wasn't like an indie darling that they brought in or a foreign star that they brought in in a long time. I mean, I guess you could say Rhea. Rhea's probably a, a homegrown, but they didn't allow her to really run with it too long. You know, they were like, here, here's the ball, but we're going to pull it back from you and let you do, you know, whatever. Um, but they, they're obviously building this feud between Cat and Zero and Lee. Um, and Zia Lee, who comes out and uh, basically attacks them post match. Zia Lee's transformation, because I think, I mean, if you go back, I mean, we're 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 almost on issue fifty here of the Dad's Got Issues podcast. If you go back a long time, I want to say probably in, within the first couple issues of Inside the Ropes, um, I think I highlighted it. I think Zia Lee has a tremendous amount of talent. I might even say, like, I wouldn't be surprised if she's not the next one that we see a, a, a good push for. And they're giving it to her, obviously. You know, they're building her in this this character with, like, this mystical manager, which I think works really well in the, the NXT pandemic era where they can edit things and do things on television that they don't normally get the chance to do with live, like, completely live TV. But it's been fun to watch. You know what I mean? And I still don't think she's at like her highest peak. I think she's still tapping some un, some potential that is there that maybe other people didn't see initially. But I think her rising the way she's rising, if she's going to put Kat and Zara and Carter on her back, I think those two will also rise as well um, as, as faces. You know, ultimately they're going to be faces. Um, and then we, you know, moving when we talk about the women's more about the women's division, uh, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax show up. Um, surprisingly, Nia didn't hurt herself or somebody coming out to the stage, um, but they have a nice little showdown bet- between themselves and Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. My question I pose to you is: Does it do more for the women's division if Raquel and Dakota Kai win these titles from Nia and Shayna? Are you talking about for the NXT women's division or, or the women's division as a whole? A women's division as a whole. Do you think it would be better no. for those two women to hold the belts than Nia and Shayna at this point? Because I no, don't. Th- 
No, and here's why. I don't think that there's enough emphasis on the tag division. Like even though you have enough women, I guess in the in the NXT roster, and really those belts would probably. Eh, I'm I'm kind of talking myself out of this. So maybe by putting the the women's tag belts in the on the NXT roster, it gets them away from the main roster where we got to go. Oh, these two singles women because yeah. Let's be honest. As 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 far as teams go. On the main roster, you have Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, which are a good team, but you know how how frequently are they going to get continue to get pushed? And oh, that's it. That's it. Yeah. There's no other team like legitimate team. Every other women's team on the main roster is two singles. Now, bear in mind, like the first team that got put together, you know, that was the first tag champs was two singles competitors, but. They were best friends. Like you, you had a story. Yeah. It, it made sense. It was like the right? su- it was like the superpowers for for women, essentially. <laughs> right, right. So, um, yeah, maybe putting them in NXT may 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 actually be a smarter move because it pulls it off the main roster. Um, but then you know, and I'd say, well, what are the women on the main roster going to do? But for some reason like we had that that flash of all the way up until well all the way up until becky you know main and charlotte and um um uh ronda rousey uh, main event in mania and then ever since it's just kind of been like oh yeah that's right we have a women's division yeah and it's sad uh, because so. it's sad because the WWE has more talent than you can shake a fucking stick at, and they should be doing more with that talent. But it is, I mean, it is what it is. Um, but that goes back to your point about Shotzi. Like they're trying to build Shotzi up when you got girls like Raquel Gonzalez, uh, Casey Cat uh, and Zero, um, Caden Carter, Zaya Lee. You have all these like talent underneath the Shotzi that just, in my opinion, are just. They're more entertaining to watch. They're more fun. They're not as spotty. Casey and Carter are probably the spottiest of the four I just named. Like, why is Raquel Gonzalez being pushed into a tag team angle? She's She beat the most dominant woman in NXT history, Rhea Ripley, handedly twice. Like, she should have a, a rocket strapped to her back, and she should be going after the women's division, the, the women's title. Like, you know, Ir Shirai is fucking untouchable for some reason. I don't understand it. I will never understand the appeal of Ir Shirai. I've, you know, I've been very candid and honest about my opinions of her matches and how she handles herself in those matches, but I've also been very polite. That triple threat match at Vengeance Day was awful. If you enjoyed that match, I don't know what to say to you. That match was no better than any fucking AEW Women's Championship match we've gotten in the last you know, three or four major pay-per-views. Like she is mediocre. She is mid car. Like if there was a mid car tier for women's wrestling, which are unfortunately isn't because they only have the women's title and the tag titles. She's at that mid card level. Like, I just don't get, I don't get the appeal of your Shirai. Somebody needs to take the fucking belt from her. I don't care if it's Tony storm. I didn't care if it was Mercedes Martinez. I don't care if it's Raquel Gonzalez or Rhea Ripley. Somebody needs to take the belt from her because she's just boring. She's she's hurting the women's division in NXT at this point. Um, but I digress. Um, we get Kushida, Tyler Rust. Um, Tyler Rust is quickly becoming a poor man's Adam Cole to me. 
Um, he does a really good job in the ring with anybody he's put in there. And by poor man's, I don't mean it as an insult. I mean it as a good thing. He is developing himself into a character that I think people eventually will be like, you know what? He's a decent wrestler. He's he's got a cool like a cool little manager gimmick, you know, that's really talking for him. He's built himself up from an NXT rookie. Um, but every match he's put on the last three weeks have been, have been good matches. Him versus Kushida was a good match. Kushida ended up winning by submission. Um, I don't know what the plans for Kushida is. Ultimately, I think he probably takes the belt from Johnny, but it looks like Johnny's moving towards his feud with Dexter Loomis, so I don't know how much longer he's going to have to wait, essentially. Um, but we'll see. Uh, Pete Dunn, uh, Lurkin and Birch versus Finn uh, O'Reilly and Roderick Strong um, end the show. Um, basically, it turns into a giant fucking brawl, and out of the chaos, Adam Cole appears and assaults Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, and then in the chaos that follows, um, Balor accidentally kicks Strong with a Pele kick, and then Dunn... Um, plants or hits Balor with his finisher and wins the match. Um, Baylor, you know, as Baylor is in the ring watching, you know, Dunn walk away, he ends up catching a super kick from Cole. So although it seems that, it seems that Cole has a level of frustration with O'Reilly, obviously he viciously beats him down at the end of this match. He's still making it, abundantly clear that he is focused on taking that title back from Balor. Um, are you more interested in this version of Adam Cole than you were the undisputed era Adam Cole? Cause I know obviously you're a big UE guy. So, I mean, the, the, the best Adam Cole is heel Adam Cole. Yeah. Right. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, it's sucks that the the UE is 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 done. You know, it's um, it's there's no there's no fixing it. There's no oh well, you know, maybe Roddy and uh, Bobby and and Kyle can can carry it on. Like, no, you you need Adam Cole. Adam Cole is the leader. It's just how it so is. You're not adding anybody. What's like, your what's your prediction for the end of this? What's the end of this rivalry? So I, I think you and I kind of talked about it and, and what, what I would want to see is that you're going to have, a, you're going to have an Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly feud, right? Yep. You're all, you also still have Pete Dunn in the mix of things. And then you have, and at, at the center of all of it is everybody wants to be champion. Mm-hmm. So what I want to see at the end of all of this is the fatal four way of Cole Baller, O'Reilly, and Dunn. So I was thinking about this. And where I agree, I think a, a fatal four-way would be great because they, they don't really utilize that often in NXT, and I think they have, the, they have the star power here to do that. But I was thinking triple threat, O'Reilly, Cole, Finn, right? If you're talking long-term booking, what you really want to get, if you really want to milk this UE thing, right, make it a big deal. You have O'Reilly beat Finn in the triple threat match to win the title. So he doesn't pin Cole. Cole doesn't lose. 
but Finn loses, loses the belt, drops it to O'Reilly. Cause everybody keeps saying O'Reilly's never going to be NXT champion. I'm like, uh, I wouldn't quite say never. You never say never in professional wrestling. But what this allows is, is now O'Reilly is being chased by Cole. And yes. Does it remove Finn and Finn's kind of got to go and do his own thing for a little while? Sure. It is what it is. Finn's had what? Almost a year now with the belt, give or take. So, uh, yeah, roughly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like he, he's had a chump change run to this point. He's had a pretty good run. You know, he's, he's, he's re-elevated the title back to a level of prominence, put the belt on Riley and allow these two guys to get back at it for the, for the course of the summer, essentially, you know, like give them the opportunity to, to feud for a decent amount of time between the two of them, show the importance of UE in a, in NXT show the importance of their friendship over the course of the last three and a half years and show the importance that this breakup is going to have as a ripple effect through not just the course of NXT, but really the course of WWE. Um, I think that allows these two guys, this really these two superstars. I mean, they've really done a good job of building O'Reilly in in my point, in my perspective to this point. Um, But like I said, at the end of the day, Finn's had a good run. He's had a great run. It doesn't mean he he has to hold the belt forever or he has to be the one that Cole takes the belt from. I think Cole taking the belt from O'Reilly and maybe a series of matches, one or two matches. Usually that's usually how NXT does things. They usually do like a one or two or a rubber match, a third match. I think I think that's the best course of action, in my opinion. A fatal four-way would be great because Balor could not take the pin, you know, still even in that case. But if you do your fatal four-way, O'Reilly could still win it in the same fashion that I'm saying, right? You know, he could pin, shit, he could pin Dunn. You know, pin Dunn, Dunn gets knocked out of the title picture completely. Balor doesn't take the L, neither does Cole. Cole now is chasing O'Reilly instead of chasing Balor, who he actually has more story behind his rivalry with at that point. Um, And I would think you as being a UE guy, either way that that, cookie crumbles even if O'Reilly has the belt for a month or two it would still be cool to know that ultimately Undisputed Era produced two NXT champions instead of just yeah, well, well and but let's see I, I like everybody involved in this scenario like anybody who comes out winning is still okay with me yeah. even if it's beat Dunn like I, I don't care like it could be like it could literally be any of them and I'm okay with it I now just, if you're asking like who, where, who, where, where do my preferences lie? You know, I, if I, if I have to rank it, it would be Balor, Cole, O'Reilly, Dunn. But I'm just not a, hu- I, I, I'm just not a huge fan. If we're, if we're talking about like the way storylines or rivalries pull out, especially in these, in these circumstances where they're, they are so close to the title picture, like Gargano Ciampa was more intriguing when the title was involved than when they had their rubber match at Mania and there was no belts involved whatsoever. I enjoy them chasing each other for the pursuit of, um, for the pursuit of the title than I do them just chasing one another for the pursuit of chasing one another. Um, that's just my preference though. Obviously everybody has their preference. um, but that about wraps up NXT, I think. Obviously, we'll get more out of this as time develops. Um, we're not, are we not getting an NXT takeover for Mania like we normally do? Or are they doing the same thing they did last year since it's a two-night event? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think they're going to integrate 
um, NXT into Mania. We'll see. Um, yeah. Either that or they'll do something the week before. I, I, I don't know. Well, well, speak- When's AEW's pay-per-view around Mania? Oh, that's a good point. Well, I guess March AEW doesn't have another pay per view from from March until I think like May or June, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but speaking of WrestleMania, the road to WrestleMania is well underway. Uh, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the show. Um, the 2021 Elimination Chamber was last night. Um, it started with the 2000 uh, the the. Chamber started with the number one contendership between uh chamber match between Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, uh, Baron Corbin, Jay Uso, Daniel Bryan, and Cesaro. Um, WWE's done a really good job, and I don't know if it's maybe because Cesaro has resigned his contract more recently, of booking Cesaro to look really, really, really strong. Um, which is good. I think uh I think they should. I think he's I think he's I don't want to say criminally underutilized because I think he's been utilized well within the tag division over the course of the last probably like five or six years. Um, but putting him back into singles um, and allowing him to look very dominant against some of WWE's upper echelon is also elevating his his status, in my opinion. Um, I don't think anybody looked bad, and I'm not even a Baron. Cor- I am a Baron Corbin hater. I cannot stand watching a match with that guy in it. I even didn't think he looked bad. Um, but ultimately, uh, Daniel Bryan comes out on top. Um, great spots throughout this match. If I'm being honest, I think this chamber match was better than Drew's, in my opinion. Obviously, the the Raw chamber match had a lot more twists and turns at the end, um, where we. But I I really didn't know who was going to win the SmackDown match until obviously we got down to the final two, where it was a little more predictable once Daniel Bryan and Jey Uso were the only two in the the chamber match. Um, Right after that match, we obviously got the Roman Reigns squash match um, because Roman didn't want to defend his belt in the chamber, so he basically said he would defend it at the chamber versus whoever won. So that answered our question, right? You know, we were in... Yeah, and that's that's what I suspected. Yeah, and it's not really... It's not really unpredictable because it's a very heel move of like, Oh, I'm just going to beat up the guy who just wrestled for 40 minutes. Um, so Roman came out very quickly, um, ends up submitting Daniel Bryan, uh, with the guillotine choke. And then immediately after Roman won and he basically stood up to celebrate, he got speared by edge and edge points to the WrestleMania sign very awkwardly. I might add, you know, I hate to say this, but you would think a guy with 20 something years would know like I don't know. Maybe he was just so excited, but like, like when he, he like, he hit the spear, but like immediately jumped up to point to the sign. Like there was no pause, no, like, you know, the classic edge where you, you know, he pulls the hair down over his face and like does his freak out moment. Like it was literally like he hit it, hit the shoulder roll and then point it. <laughs> um, but like I said, I'm not as excited as I thought I would be for Edge's decision as I was when he won the Rumble. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is a legend I can finally get behind having a real reason to come back and want a main event WrestleMania. Um, but nonetheless, I think they're going to do a good job of building it over the next month. I'm sure there will be plenty of good promo work between Edge, Roman, and Paul Heyman. Um, so it, it, I'm interested. They, they, I'm interested, but I'm, I'm for some reason not excited. Do you, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's the the story that they're going to tell is the whole spear versus spear thing. Um, you know, uh, they'll probably play into Edge being a family guy, you know, to play off of Roman, you know, saying everything I do is for my family. Yeah, uh, like it's 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 a it's an easy story for them to tell. Right. They can they can almost mail it in, which is. Ultimately, you know, unfortunately, sometimes what they do. Ultimately, if we're being honest, though, like if it's not Edge Roman, like who would have been against Roman? Like you would have had to bring somebody back. It's in my opinion, but you could have went with Daniel Bryan. I think Daniel yeah, Bryan would have worked. You could have done Daniel Bryan. You could like like I think what I what I had predicted was hey you know you have it, you you have it whoever it was and I even think I said to Daniel Bryan he comes out he beats him and then you have them build on their feud and you can take that all the way into Mania yeah. the problem is on the Raw side who would he go you know who if Drew would have won yeah well he did win if Drew was still champion yeah you know uh you would have had to work really hard to build a story that basically has nothing to go. It's easy to tell the story between edge and Roman, right? Yeah. Super easy to tell the story. It's, it's a lot harder to put edge up against anybody on raw other than Randy Orton, because there's no real history yeah. with anybody on raw. Yeah. So, um, you got, um, after that, we got the United States Championship match, Bobby Lashley versus Riddle and John Morrison. I guess there's something going on with Keith Lee. I would assume it's COVID-related. They didn't really come out and say what the problems were. They just said that he was pulled. Morrison won a number one contendership or a, a, a play-in match, essentially, at the beginning of Elimination Chamber against uh, several other superstars in order to uh, get into the IC or the United States title match. Um and Bobby Lashley ends up dropping the belt because Riddle pins Morrison. Um, Bobby Lashley, obviously not too happy about that. Um, but it's the easiest way to get the belt off of him without making him look weak. We just, we literally just talked about this, right? You know, if you don't want Balor to look weak, you, you allow O'Reilly to be done. Or, you know, if you don't want Cole to look weak, you allow O'Reilly to be Balor. Like, it's the, the the triple threat trope in professional wrestling is the best way to promote a guy who's had a really good titles, like mid card titles run to the main event picture. Um, but uh, I didn't think it was a bad match. Morrison is highly entertaining at his even for his age, he's still highly entertaining. Um, but I think this also plays into something that we talked about a little bit on the last issue too of what was next for Bobby Lashley. You know what I mean? Like, the, the how do how does hurt business move on and get a a, a a world title in their ranks with Bobby Lashley being United States champion? This makes the most sense now, right? He doesn't have the belt; he's going to move on. Um, but we'll get more to that at the end. Um, women's tag team championship match, complete throwaway, no reason to have on the card. They should have done an IC title match, in my opinion. Is that is that agreeable? Yeah, I mean, you you could have. But. I mean, uh, I would have took I would have took Big E doing an open challenge versus anyone. You could have sent Santino Marella. You could have sent Carlito. You could have sent whoever you wanted out to wrestle Big E, and I would have took that over this match. It doesn't make sense to me that Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair are wrestling together. 
Because ultimately, we know Bianca Belair is going to pick Sasha Banks to wrestle at WrestleMania at this point, right? Yeah, there was, there's no doubt in yeah. my mind that that was what was going to happen. And can, <laughs> can somebody explain to me why Reginald is out there? Did I miss something? Did he leave? Yeah, I don't know. Did he leave Sasha? Uh, did he leave um, Carmella's ranks? I was very confused. Maybe I'm not paying attention enough while while I'm watching SmackDown. I don't know. Um, but then I, I like I said to you last night when we were talking. Um, I said you know I guess that women's match was just a palate cleaner for the the main event. So uh, we get another chamber match for the WWE Championship: McIntyre, Styles, Kofi Kingston, Sheamus, Hardy, Orton. Um. I said earlier, you know, that I, I think, you know, it, it saddens me because Jeff is a legend, but he just seems like a throwaway character in these main event matches at this point. It's just like a namesake he's there. But the fact that he's not the first one eliminated, but he's like, what, like the second to last is unbelievable to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, or, <laughs> yeah. like, it doesn't make sense to me that like he lasted that long. Uh, or third yeah. to he sorry he was third to last. Well, but 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 I think what, what you know what I was messaging you about earlier was like, what does Raw have? Yeah, as far as star power and unfortunately, faces, like not much. Yeah, yeah, you you don't have many people to choose from, and like, and and this is no disrespect to to either of these guys, but. Jeff Hardy and Kofi Kingston are, are tag team wrestlers to me. Yeah. They, they they just, they always will be. They will never be, they will never be anything more than that. Like I know people loved Kofi mania and, and everything that was involved with that. But like, it was, it was I, cool for its moment. It's not like it's, a, it's, right. a, it's a, it's not like an endear. Like I hate to say this. It's not endearing that he's getting, like he got put into this opportunity again, which I, I mean, it makes sense. It's all former WWE champions. He's a former WWE champ, whatever. But like, when there's guys in his own stable that are younger and probably have more to offer at this point in their careers for a push like that, it just seems weird. Like, why keep going back to that well? Like, why not Big E? Why not Bobby Lashley? Like, you, you know what would have been really interesting? And obviously, it worked out in the end. But, like, Bobby drops that, that United States title and, like, I don't know. He takes out Jeff Hardy or he takes out Kofi and takes their spot in the, in the elimination chamber match. Like, you know, like, Oh, we have this, we had this freak accident with Kofi or with, with, you know, so-and-so cause that builds a storyline, right? Ultimately, even right. if Bobby Lashley doesn't win, but you say, okay, well, you know, somebody attacked these guys or yeah, the, this person. It, it was rock like, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, you, you start that feud. Yeah. Um, and and you, you know, you'd be like, somebody attacked this guy and took his spot. Okay. Well, you know, ultimately speaking, like when the guys attacked, they're like, well, we, we need to find a replacement, you know, and that's where MVP could have came in and been like, Hey, I got a proposition for you. And it obviously gets Bobby into the match and Bobby could have been, he could have ran through everybody and you could have made him look dominant. Like, absolutely dominant. And there wouldn't be this weird hook between him and The Miz, right? Now there's, this, there's like, this weird partnership between him and The Miz at the moment. I'm not saying that, it, that, like, it's not going to play out the way I think it's going to play out, which is ultimately Bobby Lashley cashing in his opportunity to wrestle The Miz at some point. Um, but it, it allows Bobby Lashley to look really, really strong in the chamber match, 
probably ultimately get like the boot from, you know, get the Claymore from Drew and Drew wins. And then, you know, you have Bobby get up and do his, his full Nelson thing that he fucking the hurt lock and then toss Drew to the mat. And as he's walking out, the Miz runs out and cashes in. Works out either way, because ultimately it's what happens anyways. You know, McIntyre outlasts everybody, beats, you know, Sheamus. And then, you know, Lashley comes out and lays waste to him. And then the Miz cashes in. But we saw that that was kind of like prearranged by MVP and the Miz. So ultimately, like I said, I'm very interested in seeing where this leads moving forward. Right? Because... How does how does how do they play this now? How does the Miz maintain his title defense without like the help of Bobby Lashley or the Hurt business? Or, or is this ultimately that Bobby Lashley agreed to do this so that the Hurt business could get an opportunity at the Miz's title? Either way, I'm happy. Yeah, I, I, I I think it's the latter. I, I, that's what I think. Like MVP's like, hey, I'll send Bobby Lashley out there. He'll soften up Drew. You go out there. You take advantage of it. You win. And then my man Bobby Lashley gets a shot at your championship. And Miz is like, yeah, no, I'll totally. That that would totally work. And now he's going to be ducking them and ducking them and ducking them yeah. to try to not have to defend that championship against Bobby Lashley. But if we're being honest, like. We've praised the Miz. I think we've been very highly like we we've been appreciative of his work over the last probably five six years. You know, like just me and you as individuals, whether yeah. talking, you know, candidly on here or talking, you know, privately in you know our friendship. But it felt right. Like it felt like a meaningful cash in. You know what I mean? Like it didn't feel yeah. like a waste of like, oh man, he's going to drop it in a month. Most people think he's going to. I think the Miz is going to have the belt in the mania. It makes sense. He's got mainstream appeal. He has the number like one or two rated reality television show on TV. Like he's got, I hate reality TV. Yes. Like I hate reality TV, but I will watch Miz and Mrs. I'm sorry. Like that is one of like one of those things where I'm like, I'll watch it, but only because it's wrestling related. Yeah. And, I know what I'm getting and my, the Miz but is it's, entertaining. It's just funny because like the Miz is so much like me and you and like everyday people just transplanted into like high society. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, and I think that's why, I think that's why we probably connect with him. It's like, yeah, he's just a big wrestling nerd. Like, yeah. us too, but like the thing so. is, but I think he keeps the belt. I really do. I think Drew chases him into mania and I think ultimately Drew probably dethrones him. But yeah, I do I do think that I do think he keeps about in the mania. I th- and I think rightfully so. He, he deserves it. He deserves a legitimate title match defense or opportunity at mania in my opinion. Because his match against Cena is loathed as one of the worst main events in WrestleMania history. But it's not his fault. The WWE was planning something larger as a result of his win or his match with the rock and Cena. So ultimately he suffered as a result, but I don't know. Like I said, I'm excited for it. I'm a huge, like I said, we're, we're, we're big Miz guys. Um, I think it's awesome that he got the belt. I'm, I think it's awesome that he didn't have to beat Drew to get it. Cause I think that would have been a little more unbelievable. I love that they've to this point have built him back into his normal, like skeevy type heel character. And I'm excited to see John Morrison help him retain this belt. I really am. 
Because I think that's ultimately that's the only way he keeps the belt into Mania is if Morrison sacrifices himself and does some crazy stuff over the next you know couple weeks. But I also wouldn't be surprised if you don't see Morrison feuding with Matt Riddle for the United States Championship. They showed a tremendous amount of chemistry in that match. Um, but ultimately, I think the road to WrestleMania is is paving out quite nicely in front of us. Uh, I we. You thought we were going to get Becky Lynch um, at some point, right? I still think yeah, I, I still I, think I, I agree with you. I think we do. And ultimately, because something's got to give for the Raw Women's title, right? We got to have like a gauntlet match or an elimination match or something along those lines. I was very surprised we didn't get a women's elimination chamber match because they're really big on letting the women's duke it out in the men's style matches now. That would have been a perfect opportunity to crown a number one contender for the Raw title moving into Mania season, but they didn't do it. Well, you getting three chamber matches on, just I don't think it would have worked. Yeah, it would have been tough. But ultimately, I do. I am starting to agree with you more that we're going to get Becky pre-Mania because what else are we waiting on? Like, just make Charlotte the number one contender at this point. We're okay with, like... We're, we're we're okay with it. Or bring Rhea in. Let Rhea come in and just lay waste the the Oscar. I think that would be fucking awesome. Like I think like ultimately something needs to give in the next week or two because if not, you're gonna have a throwaway women's title match and you shouldn't have that because you're gonna put a lot of emphasis on the other one. But maybe that's why they're doing it. Maybe they want so much emphasis and and eye and attention to um. Bianca and Sasha that they're willing to allow the other title to kind of fall into like pre-show category almost, but we'll see. Um, <clears throat> did we miss anything? I don't think we missed anything. Right. Um, no, that, that seems like everything. Yeah. Um, I did see some news that we're going to get a second NXT show. Um, NXT evolve, uh, potentially with like <clears throat> basically, a very lucha underground feel. It's going to be shot like, like a like basically like a like a not like a sitcom, but like a like a drama, like a TV drama. Uh, apparently, WWE's playing around with that idea. I really enjoyed Lucha Underground. I thought Lucha Underground was a great concept, but obviously, in execution, they did it well. But it obviously didn't ultimately didn't do well enough to maintain popularity. But it's also tough to do when you're talking about contractually obligated wrestlers who at any point in time could be like, yeah, I'm not going to resign with you. So it'd be interesting to see. Apparently, that's what uh, the WWE brought Taya, uh, uh, Valkyrie, Johnny Morrison's um, wife on with hopes that she could help them kickstart that. So it'll be interesting to see if they get that off the ground. Um, but other than that, that wraps up uh, this post-elimination chamber edition of the dad's got issues podcast um if you're not doing so already hit like subscribe and get us um onto your sub list or your playlist for whatever your podcast broadcasting app or site is uh, to stay up to date for the latest issues of the dad's got issues podcast um if you're not already doing so give us a follow on all social medias uh, at dgi podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, you name it, we got it. Uh, we're more active on Facebook and Instagram, so please give us a, a like and a shout on there. If there's something you want to hear us talk about, we have completely open inboxes. Give us a shout, and we'll talk about whatever topics you want to hear us discuss or give our thoughts and feelings on. 
Um, Charlie, you got anything else? I do not, sir. All right. Well, I'll send it back to you. Send us home. All right. All right, man. Well, hey, everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, uh, that's all we got. So, Mark, go ahead and hit our music. Yeah.